What great reminders in that video to us. Hope is here. Hope is now. Hope is in the present. I have a question for you this morning. It's this. Have you ever been lost? I mean, I mean really lost. Uh, I was lost once. Um, I mean really lost. Lost to the point where me and the guy that I was with feared, literally feared for our life. It was in the some place, well, it was Barrio del Norte in Mexico City one summer, summer of 1987. We were there for a summer mission trip. And uh, we lived with this family kind of on the outskirts of Mexico City. Mexico City, which at that time was, um, was almost 10 million people. It's almost 20 million people now. Um, and, and actually, if you look, the population of, of Mexico City just proper kind of like, you know, Denver, they would call Denver, is like 8 million. And then when you add everything else out to the end of the lake bed to where the, to where the mountains start, it, it adds up to about 20 million these days, or 22. Um, it, it, it was a big, big city for this boy from 117 population. Um, and uh, the, the family that we lived with was kind of on the you know, the mid outskirts of the city, and we went in the inner city, into the middle of the city every day for ministry stuff. And so our mama took us down there one day, the first day that we were there, and we were with the family, and she got lost, finally got us to where we needed to go. And, and there were lots of different ways you could get back home. You, there were subways, and it was an amazing, and still is, I'm sure, an amazing subway system. But that wouldn't take us all the way there. Then we would either get in a bus, um, which was the least expensive next to the subway. And then there was what they called a pasero, which is a VW bus. Um, where you had, it was like a taxi, and then there were actual taxis. And we were on a bus this particular day, and we decided that, it, that we didn't want to walk near as far as we usually have to with the bus, so we said, we're just going to ride the bus until we get as close as the bus is going to get to our home, and then we'll get off. Well, we missed, of course, that. I mean, it all looks, it's just crazy how it all looks the same. And so then we're like, well, we'll just ride it back around, and we'll get off at the normal stop, and we'll do it the other way. Well, it was our bus driver's last shift, and he gets to the end of his route, and, and he's like, all right, everybody off, I'm done for the day. And we're like, uh-oh. So we get off, he leaves, and we're standing on a side street in Mexico City, which we eventually found out was Barrio del Norte, which we had heard bad things about Americans who had been there, and so in that moment, we prayed like we've never prayed before, God, we need help. And in a super miraculous way, this guy pulls up in his car and he says, hey, do you guys know where you are? And at that moment, our response was yes, but we don't know what we're doing here. He says, get in, I'll take you to the next subway stop. He didn't know us, we didn't know him. Uh, come to find out, his story was he was looking for somebody. Well, he found us. Um, that was a case where, where we were seriously nervous and God um, found us. Have, have you ever been lost in a dangerous place? Well, there, there were a couple of hunters lost in the wilderness. Uh, they didn't know how to get out. One of the guys said, hey, I hear that if you shoot in the air, 
that maybe somebody will uh, come find you. And so he's like, he turns to his buddy and he says, shoot in the air. So he shoots in the air. They wait a couple hours and, and nobody. And so he's like, hey, why don't you shoot again? So he shoots again. They wait a couple hours. Nobody shows up. And, and he says again, hey, shoot one more time. And guy, the guy's like, okay, okay, but this is my last arrow. So have you ever been, I got a wow from the front row up here. Have you ever, have you ever been lost? Uh, let me ask this next question. Have you ever felt lost? You knew where you were physically, but you just felt lost. Megan and Mustafa, when they were on their adventure coming back from Oregon and got stuck in Idaho and needed rescued, I'm sure they felt lost. What do we do? Who do we talk to? We're, what, what do we do? God, we, we don't have any options here. What, how, you, you need to help us. And, and then and, and a, a volunteer, a rescuer went to rescue them. And then we had to send a rescuer for the rescuer. And, and if you think about that, and, and as they think about that, though there were problems along the way, how did God provide in different ways. There are lessons to be learned there. It is a wonderful illustration of our journey in life. Just because we're Christians, just because we believe and have surrendered to the God of the all of the universe that created it all, doesn't mean that all of our troubles and struggles and problems just evaporate into thin air. It's not that way. If anybody tells you that, they're just trying to pull the wool over your eyes because it's not true. Jesus himself said, in this world that we will have trouble. And there are times where we will feel lost. And, and, and our experiences are very real. And we learn from those experiences. We learn of God's faithfulness. We can learn of our unf unfaithfulness. Um, he teaches us things. Sometimes we don't learn from our failures. Sometimes we do the same thing again, expecting somehow a different result. And we say things like, when will I ever learn? After we've done this thing again. We learn from others' examples. We learn through our own experience. And, and here's what, one of the things that I want us to hear this morning. Jesus was a master teacher. He was a master teacher. First of all, he was, he's God. Okay, there's that piece in the midst of that. But he, he knows all things, past, present, and future, but how did Jesus do a lot of his teaching? How did he teach people? He taught people with stories. Um, we refer to those as parables. Uh, the Bible refers to those as parables, illustrations. That's how Jesus taught. That's one way that Jesus related to people so well. He put them in that moment. He helped them see their life in a story or an illustration, and oftentimes we look back on things that we experience in life and we learn from those because they become the story that, that God is teaching us through. And, and uh, one of the ways that Jesus, it's, it's one of the ways that Jesus related to people so well, and it's one of the reasons why we can relate to a lot of the stories that he told so well is because we live in a rural agrarian culture, and that's the culture that he walked and lived and breathed in. So, you know, when we read things about sheep, though we're predominantly in a beef county, um, 
we understand, although, and we may understand even a little bit more because we're maybe a little bit more disparaging towards sheep. Um, because, you know, beef is what's for dinner. Um, it makes it easy for us to see the parables of lost sheep and the parables of the good shepherd in a way that Jesus intended them to be because that's a lot of our own experience. Um, the parables of the lost sheep and the shepherd, which I'm going to have you turn to and keep your fingers in both as we go through this message this morning, are, are genius word pictures by Jesus himself, showing us God as our heavenly shepherd, uh, Jesus as our shepherd who came to earth, uh, and us as their flock, the lost sheep in both parables, end up representing both the saved and the unsaved in our world. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's us. That's even us here this morning if we have been found. We sometimes can get lost. He came to save not just the lost sheep of Israel, but also the Gentiles, the, those who were outside of the fold. And this morning, we're going to focus on the lost sheep. That's you and me. And there are times in our life when we experience a little bit more lostness than others. There, there are those times when uh, we go through a season of more lostness. Now, we all start off lost, dead to, dead to our sin, dead in our sin. And sometimes on our journey with Jesus, we get a little bit more lost. We wander off the path. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, sometimes on our journey with Jesus, we just get a little bit lost, and it's just a, a right turn here and a right turn there, and we're back on the journey. We're back on the road. We just need to take a couple of right turns. Other times, we spend several Hours. Now think about this. If you're in the woods or the mountains and you just say wander around. Now remember when, when we in 1987, there we didn't even know what a cell phone was. They didn't exist. Uh, there was no Google Maps. There was no following directions. We were just left to our own devices, which was a backpack and a sweatshirt with a hood that we were trying to cover ourselves as much as we could with to help protect ourselves. Um, there are people who have wandered around long enough that, that they're just flat unable to find their way back on their own. They need help. And sometimes when we're looking for help, we find that those claiming to be experts can sometimes not be so much experts. Like even our GPSs in our cars, right? Um, I, I saw signs like this, similar to this, this one right here, during the eclipse. It's like that little thing in your hand is not telling you the right way to go. Um, your GPS is wrong. I mean, if you're opening gates and stuff, there's a good chance that you're not. I did that one time from Chugwater. I'm like, I'm just going to follow my GPS. After the second gate, I was like, you know, I think maybe I better turn around. Um, I remember Bob telling me one time, um, the first time he was in Goshen County, 
um, people would stop and ask him for directions. And he would say to them, oh, oh, well, you can't get there from here. <laughs> Wait, what? What does that, I mean, now that's lost. That is in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, but it seems like that sometimes, doesn't it, in our life? We just feel lost. Um, and we wonder, how can we ever find our way? I'm helpless to get there. And in that way, we are just like sheep. We're just like sheep. We wander off. We are helpless to help ourselves. We are vulnerable to attacks from the enemy, unable to sometimes protect ourselves. We wander off. We follow the crowd even when we know it might lead to danger. We just follow how many parents have not said to your children, well, if those kids were to jump off a cliff, would you follow them? I don't see any hands in the room, right? We've all said that. We need to think that ourselves. Um, we die easily and for no, for no reason sometimes. We, we aren't the smartest sometimes. Uh, we wander off. Did I mention we wander off? Because we are so much like sheep in that way. Just a ni little nibble of grass over here, and oh, there's another one, and we go over there, and we nibble there, and before long, we're lost. We're lost. But see, the good news of, this, of these parables is that God is our shepherd. He is our shepherd, and not just any shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. In fact, he is the chief shepherd. And as God is our good shepherd, he has also assigned some other shepherds to help care for us along the way. Pastors, teachers, leaders, parents, grandparents. So these parables really speak to the complete body of Christ. To, to the sheep who are already in the fold. To the sheep who are out there outside the fold. Who are yet to come. Both to the lost sinner and again to the found saint, and to everyone in between. A found saint who has wandered off. And, you know, we're, we're driving around through the ditch wondering how we can get back up on the main road. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. This is the first time we see this parable as told in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. And in the context of the passage, the disciples are asking Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? That's the context in which Jesus tells this parable. And, and they ask him this, and Jesus says, hey, bring me that little child over there. And he brings a little child, and there's this child standing next to him in this group of, of disciples. And in verse 10, Jesus then says this, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What, what do you think, Jesus says? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. 
In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, he used some of the same details when he was talking to a completely different group of people. So, leave your finger or a bulletin or something in that one and turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, he's not talking to disciples who who are in... He's, he's talking to Pharisees who also, I would say, would say they are in. But he's talking to a, a totally different group in a different context here. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around him to hear him. So he's, he's surrounded by sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, I'm sure, probably within earshot. Doesn't matter. Jesus knows what they're thinking anyway. But um, this man welcomes. I'm sure they said it out loud, right? So everybody, even the sinners, could hear. This is how righteous they are. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus tells them a story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, the 99 of each parable represents a different group of people. In in Matthew, the, the flock represents the faithful earthly saints. He's talking to the disciples, the followers of Jesus, Christians. They're like, who's the greatest? And Jesus like, Jesus like, that's not the conversation we should be having. It's not who's the greatest within the kingdom. It's who's the lost ones that aren't in the kingdom. That's where your focus needs to be. Now, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they're not perfect. We know that to be true. But they're those who are in Christ. In Luke, The 99 can be seen as those who adhered to the law given by God, as the Pharisees, who he was speaking to, would have claimed to be. Jesus calls them the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He's trying to get across to them the importance of going to the sinners and not continuing to always hang out in the safety of of the fold. It's it's an illustration against their self-righteousness. But even with these differences between the two lost sheep parables, there are, there are many, and I tried to limit it. Please, please, let me tell you, I tried to limit it, um, that we can make that are similar. So here's, here's some observations. The first one that I want to make, um, and, and these, my prayer has been that, that anybody who is lost, who is feeling lost, who is just, just super struggling right now, um, that, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you this morning. Um, the first, the first uh, observation I want to make is that both parables confirm our nature as sheep. 
I don't want to spend a lot of time here because, look, I mean, we know. We know we're sheep, right? Um, as, as our nature of sheep to stray, I mean, we're tempted to wander away, to disobey, and we do. Um, we fail. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6, God says we all like sheep. Well, God is not like the sheep. Uh, Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Uh, Both parables confirm our nature as sheep to fall short. We all fall short. All of us. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. Not not one of us. No one measures up to our perfect and pure and holy creator. We all need a savior. Uh, Both parables confirm our nature as sheep to sin. We all are under sin. Romans 3.29, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Gentiles need saving just as the Jews did, though the Jews were his chosen people. Later we find, and Paul gives this to us, that we are grafted in along with them as children, given full, full rights. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, pastors, teachers, priests, popes. There is only one human who has ever lived who was sinless. All humans descended from Adam and Eve, or if you want to get technical, as my brother always says, hey, is that guy, his last name is Anderson, is he a relative? He would always say, yeah, from Noah, okay? See, we're all related, right? Um, Even the Apostle Paul had this to say in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do for what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. If one of the greatest missionaries on the planet struggled with this, we are definitely going to struggle with it because we're, we're all human. So both of these parables, parables confirm our nature as sheep. Number two, both parables also confirm the shepherd's purpose. The shepherd's purpose is first to seek God searches for us. In Ezekiel chapter 34, 16, God says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice to seek and to save the lost. He seeks us. He always, he also calls us. Here I am, Jesus says. Here I am, standing at the door of our heart. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. His purpose to seek, to call, to carry, he sustains us. I love the, the, the picture of Jesus with the the lamb on his shoulders. Isaiah 46.4 Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you, God says. 
I have made you and I will carry you, I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Seek, call, carry, and save. Our shepherd's purpose is to save. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. If you're a believer today, it's because you were that one. He went after you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Unless we leave off the next phrase, the next sentence, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but what? To save it through him. And that Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall, and fall short of the glory of God, let's read the rest of that verse. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Both parables confirm our nature as sheep. Both parables confirm the shepherd's purpose. And both parables confirm your value to God. You see, we're not worthy but we have great worth in the eyes of God. Great worth. Even as a sinner. In, in this parable, Jesus says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. That's in Luke. You have value. I was cleaning a bus a couple days ago, and, and pretty typical, you know, kids sit in a seat on a long trip for a while, change falls out of their pockets and onto the floor. And I'm almost bummed when it's pennies, but I pick them up anyway. Now the quarters, I like picking up quarters and putting them in my pocket. It's like, oh, a tip. They left me a tip today. Um, you see, what we're willing to do for something often is based on its value to us. Going to a meeting, do I value that? If so, I'll do everything I can to get there. If not, eh, I may make it, I may not. Kind of like the football game today, sort of. Eh, no, I'm going to watch it. Um, you, you are of great worth to your Creator, even as a sinner. You see, the Bible tells us that Christ died for us, what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't like, get your act together, and then I'm, I'm willing to. No, it's, I am your creator. You have great worth to me. Even in the broken place where you're at, please, I'm, I'm going to lay my life down for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and you are of great worth to God as a saint. Um, Matthew 18, 14. That's the first parable. Verse 14. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones, these little ones, these who already believe in me, should perish. It is never a case of, well, now they're saved. They, they'll do fine on their own. Have a good life. That's not the way God treats us. He continues to walk with us. 
He continues to talk to us. We are given the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life that we have before us. As a saint, you are of great worth to God. We must not forget that, not in an arrogant way, but in a very, very thankful way. Both parables confirm your value to God. Both parables also confirm God's redemptive grace. This, his redemptive grace, just, it just really blows. I mean, I just don't get it. He, that he would do for us what he did for us just because he loves us. How often do we actually do that ourselves? Do something for someone just because we love them. I mean, in the back of our mind, it might be because, because I know that's right, because, because I know that's what God would want me to do. Um, doesn't he leave, verse 4 of Luke 15, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? What grace. Grace in the face of our sin, and in that act, his death, he secured our eternal redemption. He tore the curtain down that separated us from God. He gave us open access to Jesus Christ any day, any time, any place. As sinners, we can receive grace upon grace, and that's exactly what happens. You know, somebody hurts you, you can forgive them. They hurt you again, you're like, hmm, okay, this time. They hurt you again, whoa, wait a minute, how many, how many times do you want me to do this? What does Jesus say? And, and he's not just saying that as an expectation for us, he's saying that as an, expect, as an expectation of us to be like him. If, if Jesus was keeping track of our sins and we had like this limit, we'd be all overdrawn already. Who wouldn't want a credit card that you could just swipe at any time and you knew that there was always going to be money there? Didn't matter how big it was. Yeah, you want to buy my house? Yeah, you got a credit card machine? Well, how do you know there's money there? Oh, it's unlimited. It's like my data plan. Just keep using it. Now, that's the grace of God. We shouldn't use it that way. We shouldn't say, and Paul covers that, oh, well then, should we just go on sinning? No. But when you're feeling lost and hurt because of a bad decision that you made, you need to remember that it's grace upon grace upon grace. When, when you repent and seek forgiveness from the Lord, he is faithful and just. You see, he already took care of that, the just part. And he forgives and he restores us to a place of righteousness. Both parables confirm our nature as sheep, the shepherd's purpose, our value to God, God's redemptive grace, and number five, both confirm ownership of the shepherd. I was an owner of sheep, and I wasn't such a good shepherd sometimes. I own sheep because if I owned a cow and you whack a cow, it doesn't really hurt. But with a sheep, 
you knew they felt it. That was sort of one of my thinking. Great, now I'm going to get hate mail. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. See here, the shepherd goes after the sheep who are his, even amid the goats, even amid the wolves. It is his sheep that hear and recognize the shepherd's voice. We, we read that in John 5. For they have been chosen. They are his. The implication here is that the 99 are not left on their own. It says open country, which was a safe place for them to be. Our Father is not reckless in his searching. God is everywhere and sees all things. He is faithful to protect and provide the flock with heavenly help. As a follower of Christ, you are his. I don't know what it feels like to be adopted, and I know I've, used, I've talked about this before, but to be a child who, who just put yourself in the shoes of a child who is just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to get adopted, and then one day it happens. How, how would you feel in that moment? What, what peace, what joy. I finally have a parent to protect me. Number six, both parables confirm the heart of God. And I had a bunch of verses here and I neglected to let Roy know that I had a bunch of verses here for the screen, so. Oh, man, look at this guy. So, here are some passages that, that confirm the heart of God. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There are times when it's just like, am I, God, am I yours? And, and he does something to just assure us through the Holy Spirit that we are. Galatians 4, 6 reminds us, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy. 1 Timothy 4.10, that is why we labor and strive, Paul says, because we have put our hope in the living God. We have anchored ourselves to Jesus Christ, the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Ah, oh, he loves you dearly. 1 John 3.1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. From our parables, God's heart experiences joy. Verse 13, Matthew 18. And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. So when that person that you despise comes to Christ and Jesus saves his life, you remember that he is more joyous in that moment of that new convert than you.
Luke 15, 7. There will be more rejoicing in, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He, and, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. 2 Peter 3.9 reiterates what uh, Jesus says in the parables. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Because we often, we want all the grace for ourselves, but, but then when it comes to us extending that to other people, we're like, eh, nah. That's not what Jesus taught. In fact, 70 times 7? And both of these parables point to the gospel. Jesus left, left heaven as our shepherd, John 3, 13. He laid his life down as a, as a lamb, 1 John 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He became sin for the sinner, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And he became righteousness for the saint, Romans 3, 22. Jesus Christ chose to endure the cross for you. He chose that. He, he didn't have to. In obedience to the Father, as, as far as God and the Trinity, I, don't, I struggle with that sometimes, but you know, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, different garden, different purpose. Jesus Jesus is looking for a way out. He says, if there is any way for this cup to be removed, maybe you're there. If there is any way for this cup to be removed, please, God, take it away. But, the next thing we should say, but your will, not mine. I don't understand it. It hurts. But I still want to be faithful to you and obedient to you. Your will, not mine. He chose to endure the cross simply for the joy set before him. Hebrews 12.2 As his sheep are sought, called, and placed on his journey, on his shoulders for the journey home. Luke 15.5, may we always remember God's call to any lost sheep is found in the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Both parables confirm our nature as sheep, the shepherd's purpose, our value to God, God's redemptive grace, our ownership by the shepherd. They both confirm the heart of God and they both point to the gospel. And as the video said in the introduction, with Jesus leading us, how can we get lost? If, if sheep always followed the shepherd, would they ever get lost? They would not. So the challenge is that we continue to let Jesus lead. And, and now as the worship team takes the stage, I want to close with, with this. Because Jesus didn't just tell that one parable. He told a series of parables about things that are lost and have value. 
And I want to close with the fact that when, when we do get lost, when we wander off, that he is waiting for us to return. He is ready to restore and to forgive. No, it's, it's downright difficult to admit when we're wrong. I hate it. My wife really hates it. No, I'm... <laughs> right? It's just really hard to admit when we're wrong. It's not fun. And, and we may even have to make some hard decisions when we have to get down and admit that we're wrong. Decisions that in the short term don't feel very good. That may even cause the night to feel even darker for a time. If we're making a wrong decision because of a loneliness or an emptiness, that wrong decision, it, it may, may lighten that lostness, but if, if it's sin against God, it's only going to increase the heaviness of that on us. You see, it was for lost sheep that Jesus came. And that's all of us. Luke 15, verse 11, and I'm sure you've all probably know this, and I wish, I kind of wish I was preaching next week because I would have changed next week to this, but I, I want to leave you with this. Jesus continued after telling the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Father, give me the good stuff and then I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Sometimes we do that with God. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the forgiveness. Now I'm just going to go do whatever I want. That's what this son does. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Life was all good and cherry and fun when he had money. So what did he do? He went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Oh, great. I mean, it just keeps getting worse, right? First, there's a, this Jewish boy who says he wishes his father was dead, takes half his share of the estate, goes, squanders, all, squanders it all, and now he's feeding pigs. Not only is he feeding them, but he longs to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating, but no one gave him anything. And then I love this line. I wish we could all come to this line sooner rather than later. When he came to his senses, when he realized what he has essentially done, he thinks to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He is in a very humble place, which is where we need to be when we find ourselves disobeying God. In a humble place. He goes crawling back to his father. In his mind, thinking he's going to have to beg him to take him back as a son. But we find what? He gets up, he goes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It's like he was praying and waiting for him to come back, and he did. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which is what the enemy says to us when we find ourselves in a place of sin and disobedience. But the father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. If you're lost, come back to the Father. If it's because of bad decisions and sin, repent of that. May we all in those times, and we're all there at times, come to our senses and realize that, that God offers us grace upon grace. He loves us so much. Let's receive it and let's turn to him. Let's sing these last couple songs in worship and response. <clears throat>